0: You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey. Brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and Broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking Tribe. Good evening, wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Senior Contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Farm Report Podcast. Day late this week, uh, and we apologize for that, but... uh We've got all the latest uh, prospect news and notes to discuss, as always, this week, and uh, no shortage of topics to discuss, especially now that Mahoning Valley season is underway. And, uh, of course, our man on the ground there in uh, Mahoning Valley with, with everything Scrappers is uh, Corey and my co-host. Uh, Corey, how's it going this week? It's going good. Scrappers off to a
1: nice start, 3-1 tonight, starting off in West Virginia, actually They'll be down in Morgantown. So a nice start for them so far. We got to see some of the top prospects show their stuff already. I I know we'll talk about George Valera and Ethan Hankins in a little bit here, but good crowd on hand at Eastwood Field for the first two, and uh, should be a nice season of baseball here in the Mahoning Valley. Back-to-back division champions, and I think this team is talented enough to at least get to a third one.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, I concur with you there. I mean, just on talent alone, uh, guys like Valera and Hankins. But then, of course, you know some of the lesser-known prospects like Reynaldo Delgado and uh, and uh, Carlos Vargas and uh, Jonathan Rodriguez, uh, uh, Brian Rokio. There's a lot of talent on that roster, and. Uh, We'll see if, uh, how long it stays together because we got some uh, system news, uh, some moves to discuss. Um, but first, before we get into that, um, I want to talk while we're on the topic of the uh, Scrappers. Uh, George Valera, um, first of all, impressing in his first few games. Uh, he went 0 for in his last game, but uh, in his first three games he had uh, two home runs and two doubles. Uh, so four hits, all of them extra bases. And uh, to go along with five RBIs. So, really endearing himself to the crowd early on here in Northeast Ohio. And, uh, you know, with him being a top five prospect, uh, certainly a good way to get people excited for him and hit his potential. And, uh, Corey, uh, you, I know you have firsthand uh, accounts of this. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on uh, Valera's uh, first few games and how well he has hit the ball? You ready for this one? So, this
1: is a kid who born in 2000. Okay, follow me here, Jake. Born in 2000, in Queens. Family's from the Dominican Republic. He grew up in the Dominican Republic. Where's number 12? I don't know if that bears much significance. Left-handed hitter. Take a guess on who he emulates.
0: Uh, probably somebody playing
1: in Cleveland right now. Well, somebody that played in New York probably when he was growing up. And the exact comp that I have is Robinson Cano. of course. (laughs) If you you watch his habits in the batter's box, from the helicopter swing to the step forward, the compact swing that he has, the stroke that he puts out there, it – emulates it's not exactly but it emulates what Robinson Cano looked like at least in the batter's box just the habits and the traits you mentioned the production so far four hits in four games two doubles and two home runs so all those hits have been extra bases four strikeouts in four games he hasn't drawn a walk yet doesn't concern me too much but has played center field and right field and I would anticipate he's going to log some time in left field later this year, but primarily a center fielder has the speed to do so. And I'll tell you what, from the scouting reports that I've read and the high ranking and the prospect lore that he gets, I know it's a minuscule sample size, but you can kind of tell why he's getting a lot of hype just by how he carries himself. He ranges well out in center field. He's got good wheels. He's got a nice, advanced is a cliched word, but he's got a nice polished approach at the plate. It doesn't look anything shoddy or herky-jerky or anything like that. He looks comfortable. I mean, last year, Tyler Freeman was essentially the same guy in Mahoning Valley where he was way advanced for his level. He was relaxed in the batter's box. He knew what he was doing. He had a plan for each at-bat. It's only a small sample, but I get that sense from Valera. And I don't know what the Indians' plan is for him right now because he's only 18 and doesn't turn 19 until November. You got to consider some things that are happening in Lake County, which we'll discuss a couple of those moves in a second. But I'll tell you what. He's worth going to see if you're in Northeast Ohio and you're you're intrigued on the prospects and you're intrigued on who this guy could be and what the hype is about. He's worth it, and I believe the Indians have somebody here that can develop further and polish his game and grow into his own, and he could be a real nice player someday. For him, I I was impressed by just what I saw for the two home games that he had. He had he went zero for four in his final home game that was on uh monday as we record this but at least a hit in each game uh he went two for four on opening day he had a back-to-back games with a home run it's looking pretty good so far for a guy like george valera
0: is it is this the first instance of uh, our generation starting to feel old when we go down to Mahoney valley now and we're seeing a bunch of players on the roster who are born after the year 2000 now well, it's
1: different for us, just as it is for one of my colleagues, Steve Ruman, who writes for the Vindicator in Youngstown, the newspaper there. He's covered the Scrappers practically every game since 1999. And imagine how he feels right now based on that. And also Dennis Malave, the Scrappers' manager, who was one of the original Scrappers in 1999. So in the years that Malave was playing here guys like Valera were being born which is bonkers to think at this stage
0: how about yeah the scrappers now have reached a point where the team is now older than some than a lot of the players who are going to be playing there from here, from here on out so uh, that's a that's an interesting threshold to cross for a franchise so uh yeah, but as far as Valera goes in all seriousness, I mean, we all know the hype. I mean, anybody who follows Baseball America um, pretty closely knows that everybody there has pretty much raved about George Valera since even before the Indians signed him. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, whether it's the advanced approach or – it was really the swing, I think. The the the, the power he brings in his swing, how smooth it is, and just his me- overall mechanic, swing mechanics just being so uh, – uh, polished and advanced, and, and so fluid. Um, the way he, the way everybody's talked about him, and now starting to see that play out in the field. This is the, what we've been waiting for. I mean, pretty much up until this point, uh, whether it's somebody like George Valera or somebody like uh, uh, Brian Ro- Rocchio or uh, uh, guys who have, you know, had a lot of hype surrounding them, but we haven't really had a chance to see that in action unless you live out in Arizona. Um, or even in if you have the chance to take in a summer league game in the Dominican Republic. But uh, other than that, you don't get a chance to see these guys play and see what they're all about until they reach the affiliated ball ranks such as Mahoning Valley and Lake County. Um, and now seeing a guy like Valera, who by all accounts is a th- top three, top five prospect and across the board, um, I think it's exciting to be able to get out there and finally see that in person. And uh those first three games are certainly a uh, a good indication. It, I'm not saying that he's going to bat uh like he's going to hit like that all year, but uh you know, it's definitely something nice to get excited about and uh start to think about the next generation of great prospects that start to come up through the system because uh you know, Valera's still a few years off from making an impact in Cleveland, but um, the fact that he's now in Northeast Ohio and and playing baseball at a play, somewhere where we can actually go and t- uh, physically watch him play now—it's it's exciting.
1: If you throw out the over four that he had on Monday, he's still four for thirteen at the plate, and all those hits are extra base hits. I mean, just like I said, for as young as he is, just a polished. Advanced approach at the plate. It's like he's not tight. You know what I mean? When sometimes you see some of these younger hitters get to the plate and they're real tight at the plate and they try their best to protect and protect and protect. Well, Valera, I think, is more of a free swinger, which sometimes helps and sometimes hurts. Not that he's, you know, a total swing and miss or like a hobby bias kind of bat, but his selectiveness is pretty. How do I put this? Accurate. He knows when to take pitches. He knows when to swing at pitches. He has a good idea of what his counterpart is going to throw at him. I mean, he reads in his scouting reports. He's a very cerebral player. I'm intrigued to see how he continues to grow and develop, not just as, you know, as a player, but as an actual human being, because let's keep in mind, he's still 18 years old here. And he's only listed at 5'10, 160. He still has room to grow into that, too. So I'm excited to see if his minor league career is any indication of what we've seen this last week. We could be in for a real treat here.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of uh, guys, we're excited to see how they are developing and grow into their grow into their careers and their uh, physicality as as uh, young players. How about another guy who made his uh, affiliated ball debut uh, the other night and uh, right-hander uh, Ian Hankins, who I know, Corey, you had a chance to watch him pitch and uh, pitch very well. Four no-hit innings uh, against Batavia. Uh, he walked a batter and struck out four. And uh, from what I, what I could see, he was over, overpowering. Um it's drawn in the uh, I think Justin said he was watching on uh, milB TV and he said that the velocity readings were in the mid 90s touching as high as 97 um, so you know he's he's also a young player uh, 19 years old uh, still working on coming into his own uh, born also born in 2000 but uh what did you see in hankins uh, in his uh first start of the year? I think 97, it's either 96 or 97, so that assessment's correct.
1: Um, what I saw from Hankins, sometimes when you get pitchers this young, still on their team, still learning their own bodies and their own way of pitching and their comfort level with mechanics. His delivery is very repeatable, and he's very good at repeating his own mechanics. The muscle memory is just there for him, and you can tell because he was dropping fastballs In the mid-90s, around about, you know, 93 to 96, anywhere in between there on average. And then he would have this, on right-handed hitters, it would be this front foot slider where, I'm not saying it's like Andrew Miller-esque or anything, but he would slow it down to about 81 miles an hour just to drop it in there. And on right-handed hitters, it's right on that foot on the inside part of the plate. And on left-handed hitters, it comes in on the outside part of the plate, and it's hard to see because it's so far out there. That's the stuff that Hankins was drafted for, and the reports say that if he didn't have a shoulder issue before the draft, he could have went as high as top 10. That's what I've read on him, and I can understand why now with a big projectable frame, currently 6'6", 200 pounds, maybe he could bulk up a little bit yesterday's start, the leadoff hitter for Batavia drew a walk. It was a 10-pitch at bat. He kept fouling off some pitches before drawing a walk. He retired 10 batters in a row after that before hitting a batter in the fourth inning. And then he came back and struck the next two guys out before he was pulled. So, the command was there yesterday. I believe the pitch count was 64 uh, with a pretty high strike percentage. I have to double-check the exact number on that, but I was impressed with what I saw from him. Batavia's lineup has some interesting players in there, including, I think he was a third round pick. He was a very high round pick of them and Peyton Burdick out of Wright state who was actually that hit by pitch victim against him. So I think Hankins, if he grows a little more and beefs beefs up a little bit and gets healthy, maintains health, because let's, let's put it this way. Last year in the Arizona League, he had two starts, but only threw three innings. We didn't get to see much of him last year. This year, his first start, Honing Valley, he went four. Only issued a walk and hit a batter, and that was it. So, good start from him. Good first start from him, I should say. And uh, another guy that the Indians are obviously very high on. They're going to take their time with. And this is a guy you can breed and you can – Develop as a peer starter, I think you can make that case for him. Middle of the rotation future.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's just for the uh, pitch count for uh, for clarification's sake. He threw sixty three pitches and forty three strikes, so very good uh, ratio there. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I would imagine like that uh, sixty. He was probably around that sixty five uh, pitch pitch count limit. Uh, probably still trying to ease back into. Uh, into a fuller workload, so... um. So it's worth noting that Hankins
1: started, and then Cam Hill was in Mahoney Valley for a rehab outing. Um, Hill went one inning and allowed a single and struck out the other three batters he faced. But they piggybacked Brian Icorn off of him. Icorn was drafted last year, I believe it was the ninth round, um, out of Georgia Southern, where Hunter Gaddis was drafted out of, this year in the fifth round. And... Icorn went right after him. He threw three innings, so I'm expecting this kind of thing this year, unless the Indians organization feels like they want to stretch Hankins out, or Icorn for that matter, a little bit. You're probably going to see a piggyback scenario between those two uh, for a good chunk of the year.
0: Well, I'm certainly excited to see how Hankins uh, does moving forward here because I think between him and Valera, as we mentioned uh, last week, those are the two big names to watch in Mahoning Valley moving forward. I mean, there's a lot of other names too, as we've mentioned, but uh, if you want big prospect names to watch in Mahoning Valley, it's definitely uh, Valera and Hankins. So uh, get out to Eastwood Field and – on a night when Hankins is starting and then watch him and Valera in action. So it'll be, it'll be fun. And it's fun to go see a game at, uh, at Eastwood field, uh, especially on a nice summer night. Uh, just, uh, just don't sit on, on the, uh, first base side or you'll be blinded by the setting sun. I, I'm telling you the prime real estate
1: is right in front of the press box. Come hang out with us. We're, we're a good bunch. We, we converse or come sit in front of the broadcast booth with, uh, with Tim and I just, uh, don't be too loud because we have a crowd mic that can hear you.
0: <laughs> sounds good. So uh, as far as the uh, moves we had mentioned before, it was – a I think a Tribe Insider had tweeted out, Corey, that, uh, that uh, after the All-Star break, um, Will Benson and – uh, Tyler Freeman. We're going to be moved up to Mahoning or uh, Mahoning Valley to uh, Lynchburg uh, after the All Star break because they're playing uh, in the Midsummer Classic for the Midwest League for Lake County. Um, so after those festivities are over, uh, they'll be on the move. Yeah, actually, it was
1: Emily Walden who covers minor leagues for the Athletic, uh, tweeted it, and then I think Tribe Insider confirmed it. But oh my gosh, you want to talk about well-deserved promotions? Freeman is just cruising right along through the minor leagues and I don't know if I'm happy about it or concerned by it because he seemingly hasn't faced the challenge yet in his first few seasons of minor league ball. Will Benson the turnaround that he's had has been just outstanding with just the home home run power in itself but being more of a contact hitter utilizing his speed finding ways to create runs rather than just hitting a home run or smacking a double and then it was kind of funny because earlier this afternoon I saw that tweet, and it was coincidental because the scrappers lineup was already posted, and George Valera and Brian Rokia were left out of it. So immediately the speculation began that it was those two going up, but um, I got I had it confirmed that they were still there. No official word that they were being moved up. So they played the first four games for Mahoning Valley, just a routine off day for them. But congratulations. Tyler Freeman, Will Benson, both definitely in different ways well-deserved.
0: Yeah, now, Will Benson, seeing him moved up to uh, Lynchburg uh, before the halfway point in the season. I mean, it will be the halfway point in the season once the All-Star break hits, but, uh, you know, there was concerns after last year that he might have to spend another full year in, in Lake County to try to turn things around, but, you know... After hitting 18 home runs and driving in 55 over his first 62 games, he's batting 272 with a 371 on base, a 604 slugging percentage, really just doing well across the board, drawing some walks, stealing a lot of bases. How about 18 stolen bases in 20 attempts for him so far? Really utilizing uh, some of that athleticism. I don't know if he has a ton of raw speed, but he's definitely very athletic, so uh, probably using that uh, ath- that athletic uh, Frame and uh, a long stride to his advantage there. So um, great to see him really improving all across the board uh, as far as doing everything well besides hitting home runs, and also hitting more home runs. I mean, he's only four behind the pace of where he was last year total. Uh, 22 home runs last year. He's already got 18 showing off the raw power, but also doing everything else pretty well right now too. So, well-deserved for him. And then Tyler Freeman, of course, uh, 292 average, 806 OPS, um, 861 games for Lake County. You know, not hitting at the toward pace that he did in – Mahoning Valley last year, but the fact that he's drawn, like, 18 walks versus 28 strikeouts, has a 382 on base, and he's stolen 11 bases, uh, and he's really just kind of evening things out across the board as far as his offensive output is concerned. Um, Definitely well-deserved as well because of how well he has uh, played in every facet uh, of hitting and um, I'm interested to see how these two adjust to uh, down the stretch to Carol- the Carolina League, which, as we have know, as we know and have discussed uh, multiple times, it's you know Double A is the big adjustment level, but I would say like or uh, the Carolina League is a big adjustment level too, uh, just because of how small it is and how little legal room or room for error you have because. Uh, you know, you see the same teams and players and pitchers and multiple times more often than you do in other leagues. And uh, they're going to make adjustments more quickly than uh, they would in most other leagues. So that's going to be interesting to see how they, those guys perform down the stretch. But, yeah, I concur. Very well deserved on uh, both their parts.
1: Absolutely. I can't wait to see what Tyler Freeman does in Lynchburg. Just because, like I said, I'm not sure if he's actually been challenged yet his minor league career, breezed through the New York Penn League last year, got better. I know batting average and all that might be a little down, but got better in terms of patience, in terms of walk rate, in terms of a lot of things that he needed to polish off this year. So this move should be good for both of them. But remember a couple of years ago when Tristan McKenzie was just breezing through the system and we wondered where, the challenge would be for him. And we wondered where the numbers would start declining. I know McKenzie has been injured and there's been some concerns with him there, but health is always something that you can't predict, you know, the lack of, you know, rather bad health, you know, you can't predict that kind of thing, but a healthy Tyler Freeman hasn't been challenged yet. I wonder where that starts to happen for him.
0: Yeah. And that'll be definitely interesting to see. And I was just thinking, how about this for a hypothetical, uh, Top of the order for uh, Lynchburg after the All-Star break. Um, Tyler Freeman batting leadoff. um, Oscar Gonzalez batting second. uh, Nolan Jones batting third. And Will Benson batting cleanup. Good grief. I might move to Virginia. (laughs) Might have to go see them play quite often. I don't know if that's exactly how uh, they... Jim Pankovitz would draw it up, but, uh, man, if, if so, that's uh, quite a potent top of the order right there. And then well, you, hey, throw in, you throw in yeah, guys Pankovitz like Steven had, uh, too. Yeah, Pankovitz had uh, Freeman in Mahoney Valley last year, so some familiarity there always helps. Absolutely. So, uh, what do you say we stick with Lynchburg for now and uh, talk about somebody else who made their season debut a little bit late? They had I – I don't know exactly what the issue was, if it was injury or whatever. I don't think it was ever really disclosed, but um, – You know, he was on the seven-day injured list for uh, most of the the first portion of the season until a few days ago when he was finally activated. Uh, I'm talking about a guy who I have been hyping since uh, last season, Uh, left-hander Kirk McCarty, who uh, made his season debut this week in uh, high Lynchburg. He pitched three innings in his start and uh, didn't allow a run or a walk. He allowed a couple of hits, struck out four. And uh you know we talked about last year how good he was down the stretch uh, for Lake County and Lynchburg. You know the overall numbers don't look too impressive five and eleven and a 406 era, but you know going over uh, his uh, splits from last year down the stretch, I mean he, after getting promoted to Lynchburg, he was one and two with a 3.19 ERA and five starts. And then uh, in the second half in Lake County last year, after the All-Star break, you know he struggled in the first half a lot with command. Uh, one and five, 5.98 ERA. He was walking uh, a lot of batters, getting up a lot of hits. Uh, and then after the All-Star break, he was three and four with a 2.13 ERA and nine starts before beginning promoted uh, to. Lynchburg and now he's back with the Hillcats and hopefully he's able to uh, get his season on track despite missing a lot of the first half and uh hopefully he can uh, still get some good development out of this season and potentially put himself back on track to uh get potentially up to uh double a by 2020 and then maybe even putting himself in the mix for uh The big league uh, depth chart, uh, either in late 2020 or 2021.
1: I wish for good health for him because he really impressed in his debut season right after being drafted in 2017, where he did piggyback some starts because he came out of college. Southern Miss, college arm, 2-2, 185 ERA, low strike rate, or low walk rate, excuse me, 109 whip. Just really good command of his stuff. He doesn't, you know, have anything that'll blow right by you, but I'll tell you what, the way that he commands his secondary pitches for a guy that's coming out of college and a mid-major like Southern Miss was really impressive. Now,
0: what was the exact injury again? It I, I was looking it up, but I couldn't get any kind of verification on what exactly it was, but it, it had to be significant for him to miss as much time as he did.
1: Yeah, I, I, usually with lower-level prospects, it's hard to find that kind of information. I, I, same thing, I couldn't really find much. But it's nice to see that they tried it as a start, you know, rather than having three relief innings or having him uh, piggyback off somebody. I'm glad that the Hillcats and Jim Pankovitz and the Idiots organization wants him to get back into that routine as a starter, because he did pretty well before he got hurt, at least last year between the two levels. I don't look at record as much. 406 ERA, not terrible. When he came up to Lynchburg, it got better, so you can only ask for improvement with a few starts under his belt. I hope he's the guy that can figure it out because look at the lucrative pitching depth, the excellent pitching depth the Indians have in their organization, even starting with Plezak and uh, Plutko at the higher levels that can work in. And then you look at guys that have moved on to AAA, and now... And uh, Akron, look at Aaron Savali and what he's done since he's been healthy. And I can keep going on with, you know, guys like Eli Morgan. But McCarty was on that same trajectory alongside guys like Eli Morgan, and then he was injured. So, yeah, it's never too late to get back on track. Still 23 years old, has a lot of time. So I think it's a good thing that he got out there, and he put together a pretty good start in only a couple hits in three innings. No walks, positive feedback from that first start.
0: You know, you just mentioned Eli Morgan, and do you think that based on, I'd have to really dissect the scouting reports and as far as the stuff is concerned, but does Kirk McCarty in a way kind of resemble a left-handed Eli Morgan to you? You know, kind of undersized, 5'10", 185, Morgan's 5'10", 190. Both of them have uh, high strikeout stuff um, and have been pretty durable so far in their um, – Careers to date. You know, not a lot was expected to, from them to be, become as durable as they become and as effective as they've become as starters. I don't know if McCarty has been you know, touted as more of a bullpen prospect as as Morgan has. But, you know, just at first glance, there's a lot of similarities between the two, especially, you know, McCarty had 161 strikeouts and 146 in the third innings last year. I think he was on pace to break the uh, captain's franchise single-season strikeout record before he got promoted. And, uh, you know, Morgan, kind of the same thing. A uh, guy who has a lot of strikeouts, relies a lot on that change-up. I don't know if McCarty has... Uh, that one singular pitch that really stands out above his others. But uh, just at first glance, I think it's just kind of striking to me how similar the two of them are. Remember when we were talking about the Scrappers a couple of years
1: ago and the guys like Plezak and Morgan and McCarty, even Karen Shack, who was there. How lucky were we to have a draft class like that 2017 with all these college arms that have produced so far? Please, Pleasac obviously at a higher level was drafted um, a year prior, didn't pitch until 2017. But the Indians have had a lot of success with these mid-round, early-round college arms. Remember we talked draft with Jeff Ellison, his disdain, I guess I could say, for the Indians selecting a lot of prep talent early because look at McCarty and Morgan and Plezac and these other college arms that have been selected relatively early. It's straight up working out for the Indians. Yeah, McCarty not having health is one thing, but projectability, him and Eli Morgan, they're not the same pitcher, but they resemble it at, at the very least.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, I look at the, success rate of Indians pitchers right now, it's been college arms for the most part. I mean, you go in there through their rotation, uh, you know, I, I know not all the guys in the rotation have been drafted, by, by the team, uh, but you know, Trevor Bauer is a college arm as is Mike Clevenger. Although they were drafted by other organizations. Uh, and then of course, Shane Bieber, another college arm and Adam Plutko college arm and, both drafted by the Indians um, and then Zach Plezak out of uh, Ball State. And then you go down the list into the minors and guys like Eli Morgan. A couple more similarities between uh, Kirk McCarty and Eli Morgan. Both of them 23 years old, college arms, drafted one round after each other. Morgan actually drafted a round later than McCarty. McCarty was a seventh round pick in 2017 and uh, Morgan was the eighth round pick. Is that funny how it works out? It's funny, but, uh, yeah, just to bring it around full circle there, uh, Indians, I I would say are having good success right now with drafting college arms, which again, goes back to what Jeff was saying. Why are they going so high on and going so, uh, big on these risky, uh, prep arms right now? You know, Tristan McKenzie's had his issues as has, uh, as has, um, of course, who am I thinking of, uh? Brady Aiken and uh, Juan Hillman and you know even even H- Ethan Hankins you know even though he's just getting started he had some injury issues and it makes you wonder what like why aren't they trying to go more with the college arms I mean I know they have in the later rounds and it's been working out for the most part but why go big with the col- the prep arms early on and instead of you know going with you know what works which is with these college uh, pitchers. I wonder what the tone is going
1: to be going forward in drafts because of the successes of these college arms. And I don't want to get too lengthy with the discussion here, but I mean, it directly correlates. Jeff said it himself. We couldn't name a pitcher other than CC Sabathia as the last prep arm to really fly through the system and have a sustainable career in Cleveland. It's been mostly these college arms and then arms they either trade for or pick up via free agency.
0: Exactly, and uh, I would imagine that, you know, uh, Savali is also up there as well, and then Eli Morgan's next in line. All again, more college arms. I don't, and all of them, I don't want to say on the fast track, but they're on a a healthy pace to uh, work their way up to Cleveland uh, pretty soon here. And McCarty, if he's healthy, should uh, also be on that pace as well. Although he might still be a year or two away from that. We'll see what happens. It's exciting to have him back at the very least. Absolutely. So I, I've i become a very big McCarty fan over the last uh, year or so, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he does getting back into the swing of things on the mound and uh, gets his feet back under him and see if he can pick up where he left off the second half of last year because he was pretty pretty untouchable down the stretch. So, uh I want to talk a little bit, though, uh, moving up to Akron, a guy who is newer to the organization, people probably are less familiar with. uh, But it's outfielder Alex Call, who, you know, he's a lesser-known name. He was actually acquired in the deal that sent uh, first baseman Yonder Alonzo to to the Chicago White Sox. Um, You know, there was pretty much a salary dump for the most part, but Call was the return in the deal. Uh, He was originally... Selected, excuse me, by the uh, White Sox in the uh, third round, um, 86 overall pick, um, let's see out of Ball State, uh, where he's a pretty good college player. I mean, he had a uh, 351 career average there, a 955 OPS. You know, not a ton of power. He had 19 home runs, had a lot of doubles, 49 doubles, eight triples, uh, 31 stolen bases and drove in 110 runs, scored 152. You know, so he was kind of your typical top of the lineup, uses his speed kind of guy, racks up a lot of doubles and triples, hits an occasional home run here and there. Um and so far this year in Akron, he's since joining the team, he's batted 277 with a 370 on base in uh, 14 games. 447 slugging percentage and an 817 OPS. You know, not a great sample size, but you know, a homer, uh, three doubles, a triple, a couple RBIs. He's stolen a base. He has seven walks versus twelve strikeouts, and he's uh, scored seven runs already. So, uh, I'm interested to see how this guy turns out because you know he's not a top pro- prospect. I mean, Fangraphs has him ranked a little high. He they have him as their 24th uh, Indians prospect. And think he could possibly turn into something. I mean, so far this year, he's got 142 weighted runs created plus and a 372 weighted on base average. So uh, I'm interested to see how uh, Call continues to perform this year and if he works his way into the prospect ranks. I think uh, in the IBI prospect rankings this year, he was one of our uh, cutting room floor Uh, prospects, somebody who had just missed the cut of our top 50, so uh, what's your uh, read on Alex Call? I'll tell you what, if he's getting playing time in an outfield
1: consisting of Mitch Longo, Connor Maribel, and Kai Tom, must be definitely not only worth a look at, but also someone that is making an impression on Rouglas Odor and the staff at Akron. You know, we're going to talk about Kai Tom briefly here in a minute, but Think of where Longo was at the beginning of the year. We expected him to have a big year. We expected Kai Tom to have a big, healthy year. We expected Carter Maribel to kind of pick up where he left off last year. And then Daniel Johnson was in Akron for a little bit, so of course he worked his way up. But think of how blessed Akron's been with the outfield this year. Alex Call adds a different kind of dynamic to that lineup. He's not a speed killer by any means. He's always stolen one base in uh, 14 games. But... I think of him in terms of somebody that can really set the table for you. 277 average, but a 370 on base. He's drawn almost as many walks as he has struck out. Seven walks, 12 strikeouts. Doesn't swing and miss a lot. You mentioned the um, batted ball numbers there. And I think that if you're looking for somebody to kind of develop and still 24 years old in AA in a good spot, actually was a teammate of Zach Plezak's at Ball State, uh, back in college, a former third-round pick, obviously thought high of as one of those you know outfielders that can play good defense. He's listed as a right fielder. I haven't seen exactly where they've uh, played him, you know, as far as positions concerned. Um, but I think he's an interesting player. Worth noting that he's had more at bats with the bases empty than anything else. He's hitting 280 when nobody's on base, and he's hitting 556 when he's leading off. He's five for nine. So if they try him at the top of the lineup as that table setter, he's done well so far. And you know what? I, I think he's an intriguing player. I-, I don't think he's gonna you know take the take the league by storm or anything. And actually, he's been hitting uh, towards the middle of the lineup, third and fifth in some cases. And he's a 300 hitter when he bats fifth. So let that sink where it is. And I think he's an intriguing player that the Indians could like I said, kind of sit on and develop a little bit. I wouldn't expect anything huge from him, but if the White Sox picked him that early and we'd know how good of a farm system they have and how well they've developed some prospects as of late, like an Eloy Jimenez, even a Lucas Giolito uh, on that level, Michael Kopech to mention, this could be an interesting find that the Indians have, and now that he's actually back in action, he's done pretty well so far.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, for... What he was acquired for, which, you know, was, like I said, basically a salary dump and getting rid of Yonder Alonso off the roster. Uh, The fact that the has got somebody who, again, might not be a top prospect and might not even be a starting caliber outfielder at the major league level. I think that the fact that they got something intriguing for him, somebody that they can... Probably develop and maybe even make into a fourth outfielder uh, type. Um, I think that's a that's a good find by them, and uh, they should be commended for that. And to, uh, I think that I think it was also Jeff Ellis who talked about how good the Indians are at recognizing talent in other organizations. Uh, maybe this is another case of that. Uh, again, I'm not saying that Alex Call is going to come up. Become an all-star, but I think it's somebody worth keeping an eye on and uh, somebody worth noting as he works his way up into the upper levels of the farm system now.
1: And he's got good competition around him. Mentioning those outfielders in Akron, he's got good players to, around him that can push him to be better. And then up in Columbus, should he get to that point, you know, look at guys like Daniel Johnson and Trace Thompson and who's been performing out there like Brandon Barnes. So he adds to that pretty interesting crop of the higher levels in the Indians outfield
0: all right so uh, we'll definitely be moderating Alex call and see how he continues to perform as the season goes on and uh speaking of uh, Akron outfielders you mentioned Kaya Tom is this guy due for a promotion because you know he seems like now that he's really finally turned things around in Akron he's long overdue to get some uh time in Columbus you know this is his uh second full season in Akron uh he had uh, 12 homers 64 RBIs while batting 245 last year in 121 games so far he's at 64 games played in 64 games in Akron uh this year he's already one home run behind the pace from last year at 11 he's got 32 RBIs 10 doubles three triples uh 34 walks versus 59 strikeouts so not a bad ratio there um not stealing a ton of bases this year, but probably more focused on hitting for power. He's probably hitting in the middle of the lineup more, so that's why, that's probably why he's not stealing as much when he gets on base. But a th- uh, two eighty five average, a three eighty seven on base, and a five hundred slugging percentage, adding up to an eight eighty seven OPS. I mean, that, just night and day difference as far as uh, his numbers from last year compared to this year. And based on you know what you see in Columbus with the outfield. You got guys like uh, Trace Thompson and uh, Mike Pappy, uh, you know, Greg Allen's there as well as uh, Daniel Johnson, who are more impact players and can help the Indians, of course. But, you know, guys like I mentioned, uh, Thompson and Pappy, probably not so much uh, on the Indians' priority list as far as prospects or uh, major league uh, outfield depth is concerned. So I would think that at this point, uh, especially now Pappy's on the DL and I think they really only have three starting caliber outfielders there. Although Brandon Barnes is also an outfielder there, but I expect him to DH more than to play outfield at this point. I would think Kai Tom should deserve some uh, consideration to get moved up to Columbus. I completely agree. And I tell you at the very least, it will
1: come whenever the Indians organization decides if it is this year to move Daniel Johnson up and, allow him to make his major league debut. I would think Tom would be the next one to go up uh, unless they choose to send more pitching up or whatever it is. Keep in mind too, there's going to be a lot of movement. We already saw it with Benson and uh, Freeman going to Lynchburg. There's going to be quite a bit of movement as these draft picks get signed. I know a lot of them are pitchers. They signed over 30 selections from the 2019 first year draft. So Mahoning Valley, a lot of players will go to Mahoning Valley, the Arizona league, but What are the trickle-down effects from there? There might be some, so that could definitely help push Tom out. But I I don't know if he has anything left to prove in double-A. I mean, 285, you mentioned the power. He's already eclipsed his home run mark from last year. Walk numbers are pretty good. Um, Bat-to-ball numbers are pretty good. He's slugging 500. I I just think that ever since he came back from injury, uh, when he was hurt back in 2016, He's been a real solid prospect. I know last year was a bit of a down year for him, which is why he started back off in Akron. But I'm a firm believer that if you get the second chance at a certain level and you improve and you show visible improvement, not just, you know, okay, he's doing this or that better. No, it's pretty much at every facet of his game. Then you should get that promotion up there. Now I get it. There might be slight log jam of that Columbus outfield right now and might be hard to find him some time, but uh, at the very least if someone gets promoted to Cleveland and there's a spot in the outfield or god forbid someone gets hurt in Columbus's outfield that's when he'll get that call up
0: yeah and I don't expect him to be in Akron any longer than he has to be I'm sure that they're uh ready and waiting for that opportunity to move him up and uh I don't know like you said if it comes down to somebody getting hurt, or maybe somebody getting cut, you know, it's, it's that time of year with all these players getting signed, somebody might be on the chopping block here, I, I don't want to name any specific names, because I don't want to get any uh, undue new m- rumors started here, uh, but it is something that, uh, probably is on the table at this point, but, uh, but we shall see. But I, I do agree that Tom has very little to approve at A at this point. He's ready for the next level. So uh, we shall see. But uh, if and when he gets promoted, it is well-deserved because he has played so well so far this year. But uh, hey, Corey, uh, what do you say we get to our Player of the Week for this week? And uh, you know what? I'm not going to beat around the bush because it's all that anybody's talking about uh, as far as the Indians fans are concerned, and that is – The continued impressive and dominance at the plate shown by uh, Bobby Bradley, who over the last week, six games, 25 at-bats. He's hit five home runs in six games. He has a couple doubles, six RBIs. uh, He scored seven runs. He has a walk versus nine strikeouts, a 360 average, and an OPS over 1,400. I mean, where else can you go who's more deserving at this point? Uh, than Bradley as far as uh, him being just absolutely locked in at the plate right now. And, you know, uh, d- some detractors will talk about how, you know, the International League is more hitter-friendly, especially in terms of a stadium like uh, Huntington Park. But I got to tell you, just based on how he's, you know, hitting the ball more consistently, hitting for average, spraying the ball around, I mean, I brought up the uh, – I've brought up the ratios before as far as how he's spreading the ball around the field. You know, I know he could definitely improve on the strikeout rate and the walk rate. Those are definitely places if he needs to improve, he could definitely improve there. But the fact that he has 22 home runs and 52 RBIs in just 63 games while still batting two eighty seven. that, to me, is a pretty impressive as well as uh, spraying the ball around the field. And I couldn't think of anybody more deserving this week for player of the week. And uh, I don't know. it's Everybody's clamoring for Bradley to even get called up. And it uh, seems like it's just a matter of when than if at this point. And I don't know. what What's your take on uh, Bradley's uh, impressive performance this week and earning player of the week and whether or not he deserves to get called up to Cleveland? Ooh, how much showtime do we have here? Where do I begin?
1: Oh boy! All right, how about this, Jake? What was the real mission for Bobby Bradley this year? Was it to get to Cleveland? Was it to, like I thought, to just become more polished and more well-rounded as a hitter? What what was actually going to happen with Bobby Bradley this year? Did we
0: expect this? I mean, this type of performance. I mean, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. I don't think this was completely out of nowhere. He has had these type of monster seasons before. You go back to like uh, his twenty seventeen campaign in Lynchburg, where he hit twenty three home runs and drove in eighty nine, or even his twenty sixteen. Or, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, his 2016 campaign in Lynchburg, rather. 29 homers, 102 RBIs. uh, Or his uh, 2015 campaign in Lake County, 27 homers and 92 RBIs. So these type of monster seasons are not unknown to him. But for him to have this many home runs uh, before the All-Star break is definitely uh, a newer development for him. But I expect by the end of the season, his numbers will probably be similar to those type of... Uh, numbers he's posted in seasons past, although hopefully the batting average should still be there, and probably he'll be north of uh, 30 to 35 home runs. 139 weight runs created plus, 340 ISO. He's
1: improved as far as contact is concerned as well. But I get the sense that the Indians organization really wanted him to cut down on those strikeout numbers. And I mean... I'm not asking to completely pull a reversal on the fact that he does strike out a lot and just start to rarely strike out, but manage it, you know? Not as many swings and misses, not as much of the all-or-nothing stuff. Despite all the great stuff that he's done this year, his strikeout percentage is relatively the same as last year at 32.6%, where last year it was 33.6%. And this year his walk percentage is actually down, 7.9% from 8.6%. So minuscule differences nonetheless. But we heard it from Terry Francona the other day about, you know, why Bobby Bradley hasn't been called up yet. And he kind of gave a mishmash of answers as to playing time and, you know, what Bobby Bradley is as a player. I just get the sense that they don't want to bring him up because they don't want to expose him to – the idea of only being a part-time player, but also the strikeout stuff that he's still trying to work on. Making a major league debut for a team that's as many games out of the division as the Indians are and trying to fight for a wild card and trying to get back in the central race. That's not exactly the time to get right. So I understand it. Of course I'm, I've seen enough of Bobby Bradley and triple a, believe me if he's hitting on a pace of whatever it is, 40 home runs, he might as well do it in Cleveland. But you have to think that the learning curve is going to be somewhat of a factor for that as well. What is he actually curtailed to at the major league level? I I don't know. I really don't know, realistically, why the Indians are keeping him in AAA. And I don't know necessarily if he's, other than... Batting average coming up. He seems to be pulling the ball a little bit less and going all fields. The strikeout stuff's still there. I just think that Major League hitters would try to go after that, and I don't know how it would improve in that way. But I don't know. I'm on the fence about it because I get it. I get it. He should be in Cleveland based on production. But also, you have a future to think about, the reality is. And Paul Dolan said it himself the beginning of the year before it started. The Indians are broke. Enjoy your players now that they got while they're there because you got to rebuild and retool once the contracts of Francisco Lindor and will, whoever the hell else they want to push that way and push that route will expire. So I'm
0: torn on the entire thing quite seriously. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I'm torn. I'm still firmly in the call up Bobby Bradley camp, but I'm in the call up all the prospects camp, you know, call up Bradley, call up, uh, Daniel Johnson, call up uh, uh, James Ker- I mean James Karinchak when he's healthy, Nick Sandlin, whoever you want to call up. Just bring them all up here because the Indians, I know they're still in the playoff race, but um, if your mission is to retool and get younger and try to uh, get yourself into a competitive position again with some of these younger players, why not just do it right now when you're in the position of, you know, we're trying to compete, but... You know, there's a good chance that we're probably going to fall off the pace and uh, not really make much out of this year. So just uh, call them all up and see what they can do in a, you know, a a playoff competitive, a playoff contending atmosphere, but without all the uh, consistent pressure. I mean, not that there isn't pressure on, you know, making – trying to make the playoffs no matter what situation you were in. But I would say that the pressure is a little bit lower this year as far as trying to make the World Series as it was the last couple of years just based on, you know, the recency bias with the 2016 World Series. The the, the, the pressure was on for them to try to get that back to that uh, position and try to finish a job that they couldn't complete that year. So, uh, you know, the versus this year where we know, that, you know, the party's kind of – coming to an end here, some of these players are going to be leaving uh, sooner than later to, for free agency or trades, what have you so uh, um, that's the point where I think you have to you know, still try to compete but try to do it with uh, some younger players, get them into that atmosphere and see how they do, and while still uh, seeing what these guys can do and how they can contribute to the future well, trust me, I get it, it's a headache and imagine how you know, Padres fans would feel if
1: they kept Fernando Tatis Jr. in AAA. Similar thing here. Indians fans are driven to their wits end because the organization won't call up the guy that's eviscerating the league that he's in right now. And you have a guy like Jake Bowers who, yeah, he hit for a cycle, so what? He had a good game. He had a great game, actually. But that was one game, and then I think he came back the next night and went over. So you have a guy like that who's struggling. I know Santana at first base, and – You'd want Bobby Bradley to pay, play there daily, but you gotta you got to make a move somehow, some way. I'm not saying they should keep the AAA all year, but I get why they haven't called him up yet, if that makes sense. I'm just trying to come to grips with the fact that the Indians are doing this again, where you saw Lindor, Zimmer, you saw this year Mercado where the Indians took these high-end prospects that were definitely major league ready and sat on them, And I get the whole starting the clock and arbitration, blah, 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 all this crap. But at some point, you got to look at Bobby Bradley and say, the Indians missed out on Edwin Encarnacion, Michael Brantley, Yonder Alonso. Those three leaving to begin the year left around 260 RBIs worth of production out of that lineup. Bobby Bradley, you plug him into that lineup, instantly makes up for some of that, instantly poses as a power threat, instantly can be hit in the middle of the order, instantly can protect guys like Jose Ramirez and Carlos Santana. From that standpoint, it 1,000% makes sense. So I'm just waiting for it to happen, and I'm trying to find in my head the ways to defend the Indians organization for keeping Bradley in Triple-A but I'm running out of ways to do it.
0: By the way, how's Oscar Mercado doing in Cleveland right now? Oh, he's only hitting three hundred. Hit another hit a solo home run uh last night as we record this same and that lost to the Rangers, so uh I think that you know, Mercado had a, a little bit more seasoning than Bradley did at Triple A at this point, but uh you know, they they brought him up, I know it was more out of necessity because, you know, they were short on some outfielders, they let Carlos Carlos Gonzalez go, but um, you know, I think that a guy hitting the ball as well as Bradley deserves to get called up, and cause, you know, I know that there's he still probably still has things to work on but you know what, they, they said the same thing about Yandy Diaz still having things to work on, and uh, uh, I think that he probably deserved to be in Cleveland way sooner and way more consistently than he was and uh, I'm not saying that, that the two necessarily are similar. I know Bradley's younger and probably um, still has some more time. You could really take your time with him, have a little more of uh, wiggle room as far as that's concerned. But uh, again, I'm I just I'm all for just bringing all the prospects up, bringing up Bradley. Uh, I'm glad they got Mercado up there. Uh, I would bring up Daniel Johnson, even though he's just gotten to triple-A. I would bring up Nick Sandlin. Uh, As soon as James Karinchak's healthy and has his uh, legs under him again on the mound, I would bring him up. Just just do it all and get as young as you can. See about unloading some pieces at the deadline. Get even younger. Get some more prospects, more major league-ready talent for a guy like Trevor Bauer or even Brad Hand. Um, Because I think I would like to see this team try to rebuild and retool at a faster pace. And this is the way you do it. If you want to be uh, in contention uh, sooner than, just, you know, three to five years down the line, this is how you do it. This is how the Tampa Bay Rays did it um, to get back in contention and be relevant again. Um, you know, they retooled. They got their young kids up there. They played them and see what saw what they were all about and uh, reevaluated as they went along. And now they're – in contention for an Eastern division uh, title. So I think the Indians could do that if they, if they do it and they're able to find out how good some of these kids are. I'd say if all goes well, they could be back in contention uh, as soon as, uh, as soon as uh, 2021, if not sooner. Bobby Bradley's our player of the week, Jake. Absolutely, so uh, very well deserving as far as that's concerned, and hopefully it continues because I think that he deserves to be called up. I didn't mean to go droning on there, but it's just it's it's something I think the Indians really need to do and address and uh, continue to do. That. I'm glad that they've done it so far, and I hope they continue to do it and get younger. But uh, last week's picks, just a quick review. I had Wilson Garcia, who uh, really cooled off at the plate. He did have a home run. And a double, two RBIs, but batted only 200 with a 6.38 OPS. And then uh, Aaron Savale uh, for you, Corey. Uh, two games, he had uh, he had a uh, four innings pitch, four hits, two runs. Uh, he had six strikeouts, a 4.50 ERA, uh, and a one and a one WHIP. So uh, I think I going to hand it to you on that one because Garcia just uh, did not play well this week. Uh, so uh, congrats to you on that, and uh, go ahead and uh, make your pick for next week. Ooh,
1: all right. How about Savali, by the way, out of the bullpen? Very impressive.
0: Yeah, very impressive indeed. I mean, I know that he did give up a couple of runs, but six strikeouts uh, without walking about batter. It, that is pretty nice to see. I think so, too. Um, I want to go with a,
1: a scrapper just to be canon here. <sighs> I don't want to punt and save Valera. I don't want to punt and say Rocchio or Ray Delgado, but I might do that anyway. Delgado's start to his season has been kind of on the slower side, three hits and 14 at-bats, but he did have an 0-3 yesterday. Um, Was part of that power surge that the Scrappers had on Sunday against Batavia where they hit four home runs as a team. He went two for four in that game and scored two runs. Delgado is a really solid middle infielder. He and Rokio, oh my gosh, up the middle, smooth. Both of them are smooth. Uh, So give me Delgado this week.
0: All right, sounds good. Um, I'm definitely a Delgado fan after watching his uh, performance in uh, Arizona League last year. So, uh, yeah, I definitely like that pick and uh, anything can happen with the Mahone Valley Scrappers season. It's always fun. I think that the, You see a lot more streaks with uh, the New York Penn League, Uh, guys getting on hot streaks and cold streaks, but guys can heat up out of nowhere uh, is something I found when it comes to the low A ball.
1: Oh, without a question. And it happened pretty much every season where one hitter or two hitters just took the league by storm right away. I remember, I think it was 2015, when he was still in the Indians organization, Anthony Santander tore up like the first two weeks of the year. And then got promoted to Lake County very promptly. And you look at Nolan Jones a few years back, and Andrew Kalika a few years back, and Tyler Freeman last year. There's always that one hitter that finds that hot streak and just kind of dominates the entire league.
0: All right, so uh, Delgado for you this week. I'm going to go with uh, up to Akron and looking at a guy who is really starting to put things together this season after missing some time due to the injury. And it's somebody we haven't really talked about this year after uh talking about him all pretty much all of last year and what he was was doing. And that's Ernie Clement, who uh right now is riding on an eleven game hit streak. He's batting a uh, three thirty three over his last ten games and uh he doesn't have any he doesn't have a lot of extra base hits, uh by my count, he has, uh, four doubles in that span. No home runs or triples. And, uh, he's only got the one RBI and one run score. But, uh, he's stringing hits together, um, getting on base. And I think that, you know, him being a table setter at the top of, uh, Rugus Odor's lineup is starting to come together for him, and hopefully he can get back and rediscover that uh, classic Ernie Clement form that we have seen over the last year or two, and... Uh hopefully the injury is now behind him and he can really start to focus on uh, zeroing in on that approach to the plate. And I th- think that uh, the 11-game hit streak is starting to uh, help him get back into that groove. So uh, I'm going to go with him this week because I know that once he gets going, it's pretty hard to slow him down.
1: It's been a while since we've had our Ernie Clement talk or Ernie Clement segment on the podcast here.
0: Absolutely, so I'm uh, hoping that uh, that will become more of a regularity as the uh, season goes on and we get into the dog days of summer here. But uh, Well, Corey, it's uh, been another great show. We covered a lot, and uh, hopefully didn't rant too much about Bobby Bradley because I know we were just trying to get to him on Player of the Week segment, but uh, it's pretty easy to get pretty deep down that uh, rabbit hole there once uh, the subject is, bro- is uh, broached. Well, everybody in Twitter seems to want to fight
1: over it, so why not us?
0: Yeah, why not at this point? So, uh, (laughs) uh, final thoughts, Corey, what do you got?
1: Ooh, final thoughts. I always talk about it, but now that the Scrappers are underway, it's so cheap to go to Eastwood Field and see a game. Just, you know, dollar, you know, they have buck night on Thursdays. They have pretty cool donation uh, incentives on Mondays, where if you bring canned goods or you know, children's items in, certain children's items, you get a free ticket. There's so many ways to go see baseball at a cost effective rate, even with Lake County and even to a degree Akron. But we talk about the players on here in Mahoney Valley that are slowly starting to develop and slowly starting to find their identities. You know, if an Ethan Hankins is pitching or a Carlos Torres is pitching or you see Delgado or Rocchio and Valera in the lineup for a cheap weight cheap rate and food's fairly priced and all that, worth your while coming over to Eastwood Field to check those players out.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, w- I would hope to get to at least one game this year. It's been tough for me getting to into games just because of uh, the new job and wedding planning and all that stuff. So my uh, dance card has been pretty full so far this summer. But, uh, you know, as far as my final thought is concerned, uh, I think I want to give a shout-out to a guy who... You know, has been up and down as far as the prospect rankings go. But I think somebody who could be really solid for the, uh, the Indians down the line if it's uh, somebody they opt to use at the Major League level. And that is uh, Argenis Angulo, who is now eight appearances into his A career for Columbus. And he's so far allowed just one run over uh, nine and two-thirds innings. Six hits, uh, th- uh, three runs that one earned run. Um, he's allowed a home run, hit a batter, allowed four walks, but he struck out nine. So far this year, he's, uh, two and two with a 197 ERA. He's got, uh, in 25 appearances between Akron and Columbus. He struck out 44 batters over 32 winnings. He has 20 walks, so the command's still kind of hit and miss for him, but overall, still a pretty solid, uh, effort on the mound for him so far this year. Three saves and five chances, um... He's flown pretty much under the radar his entire minor league career, but put up solid uh, numbers uh, pretty much at every level he's pitched. And, uh, you know, we talk about the relief pitching prospects that the Indians have, uh, and they have a ton of them right now working their way up. I think Angulo, while he's not uh, up there with like a a Sandlin or a Karinchak, I think he's uh, probably that next tier down as far as uh, uh, relief pitching prospects are concerned at the upper levels.
1: I'd agree. Remember Henry Martinez when he was starting to find himself? That's what Angulo's uh, current ride has reminded me of. And now we've talked about Henry Martinez as a guy who could potentially fill in in Cleveland. So maybe I see the same path as that. Does that make sense in your head, Jake?
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, Martinez hasn't pitched as well this year. He's had some struggles, but uh, I I would see a similar path for Angulo.
1: We'll see what happens. I think he can continue a kind of development like this. It's nice to see some of those walk numbers come down. Um, So we'll see if he can ride it out the rest of the year.
0: All right. So uh, as far as uh, plugs are concerned, uh, Corey, what do you have uh, before we uh, close up shop for the night?
1: Yeah, my first scrappers recap is up on the site. Uh, Basically just, you know, what they did this week. I talked a little bit about Valera. talked a little bit about Hankins, talked a bit about Dennis Malivay and, I believe I had some quotes in there from John Engelman, so uh go ahead and check that out. It's up on the site as of uh today, Tuesday as we record this.
0: Sounds good. We'll watch for that and uh give that a give that a read as for me. Uh I apologize for no forethoughts calling last week. Uh had some uh, scheduling issues come up, a lot of a lot of things uh, as i mentioned before because of work and uh, you know wedding planning things are really busy right now but i'll have that back this week and uh, i have some thoughts on uh, valera and hankins and uh, maybe even alex call as well uh, i'm going to try to avoid talking about bobby bradley cuz i've spent a lot of time in that uh, forum talking about bradley and making his case for the call up in cleveland we already know what everybody's thoughts are and as we both have shared on this podcast. So I'll try to make it a Bobby Bradley free edition of the four thoughts column. So watch for that. Um, Justin and I are still working on getting the, uh, diamonds and rough columns up in the and going for the rest of the year. So, uh, all those underrated prospects, such as maybe an Argenis Sangulo, you'll probably see the, him mentioned. Uh, but check that out. Those we posting on the weekends as well. Um, and then, of course, the Smoke Singles podcast. Uh, Justin and I have been talking a lot about the Indians and, you know, it hasn't all been positive. Seems like we've had more negative or more skepticism than anything else on this year's uh, editions of the Smoke Singles podcast. But we try to get some positivity in there when we can. So be sure to check that out and uh, rate, re- listen, and subscribe, as well as this podcast. Uh, check it out on iTunes and uh Subscribe and spread the word. We definitely appreciate it. Um, so, uh, Corey, it's been another great show today. And uh, it's fun always talking prospects. We had a lot to talk about a lot of ground to cover. But I think we hit it all pretty well. So, uh, until next week, though, when we reconvene and talk more prospect uh, storylines uh, for Corey Christen and the Farm Report Podcast, I'm Jake Dungan. And we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments... You can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com also be sure to follow us on twitter at smokesignalsibi where you can find links to all our shows as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff thanks again for listening